You're listening to Instructive's Insane Instruction Show. I am Ferry V. I create happy and safe users for over two decades. This is a listen and learn podcast to help your firm keep on the right side of the law by creating better information for use. What's more important than safety for your customers? I won't get into details, but one guy actually died recently because the information for use were completely inaccurate. Follow my show and this won't happen to you. How do you know you can trust what I say? I've worked in product development and compliance for a few decades and have built up three companies. I've been in several standardization committees. I'm invited to speak at many international conferences and my blog attracts over 10,000 visitors a month. None of this is as important as keeping your company and your users safe. By following my advice, hundreds of companies have stayed clear of the law. And not only will you comply, your users will also love using your product. They're happy, their partners are happy, and of course, I am happy for them. Hi there, and welcome to this podcast. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the new standard for instruction handbooks for machinery, the ISO 20607 standard. And our guest for today is Martin Rieder, who has been part of the committee that developed the standard. Martin is an entrepreneur, a safety expert, a speaker, vice president of TECOM Austria, lecturer and trainer. He is the CEO at Cavio, an agency based in Vienna, Austria, specializing in safety management and documentation since 2014. Martin and I know each other from the TCOM Europe Advisory Board for Legislation and Standards, of which we are both an active member. Martin can tell us everything about the new ISO 20607 standard for instruction handbooks for machinery. Martin, welcome. Thank you, Ferry. I'm delighted to be your guest today. I have nothing to add for your introduction, and I want to jump into the topic for today, the ISO 2607 standard. Yeah, but before you do that, Martin, because I, uh, as a preparation for this interview, I checked your LinkedIn profile, and I, I saw that you mentioned that you're, you have an industrial engineer background. That's correct. I'm an industrial engineer. My focus in my daily uh, work is on machinery safety, especially for steel plants, steel factories, and uh, big process industrial plants and industrial factories, um, as well as smaller equipment like lifting equipment, conveyors, and so on and so on. My background is uh, all the things about uh, costs and the safe use of products and a good quality in uh, engineering and the whole engineering process. Quality management is also part of my background. And you were a CE product coordinator at the Austrian Chamber of Commerce. That's correct. I'm uh, a CE product coordinator. I did this course uh, many years ago, and now I'm a trainer in a course like this. So lots of people joined uh, the program we offer to our clients or via different uh, training uh, companies 
Do you mean with trainer that you're a lecturer or is that something different? I'm a lecturer as well. Here in Austria, we call it a trainer. If you're not on a university or on a University of Applied Sciences, uh, then you are a lecturer. Otherwise, you're a trainer for, uh, for adults and people who are in business. Okay. And can you tell me uh, since when you're involved into technical communication? I'm working in the field of technical communication since 2008. I came to this field of work. There was no special reason why I started to work as a technical writer. I had no idea what technical writers do. I didn't know the branch. And more than 10 years ago, I started a new job and the company was searching for an employee which is responsible for creating the technical documents. So that was my first step into this branch. And a few months and years ago, I found out that this is my job I love to do. It's my passion. And I made a small change of my uh, my focus in, in daily work to machinery safety uh, in combination with technical writing. So I'm a technical writer as well. And I made uh, some core, uh, joined some course programs from TCOM and other uh, companies. Okay. And you did quite some standardization work, as in you participated in, in, in a few committees, uh, one of which is the 20607 standardization committee, which we're going to discuss in, uh, in this uh, episode. How did you get involved in, in this one? After I got the information about this new project uh, via email, it's, uh, I was not part of the working group of ISO because uh, the 2607 standard is hosted by the International Organization for Standardization and its technical committee 199 and responsible for the development of the standard is the working group five. They already started the project in 2014 with the first discussions about the new standard. And in 2017, I joined the working group. And at this uh, moment or at this date, the first draft of the standards was already created by the working group. So it was a little bit late, but not too late to uh, fix some problems. Right. And you're saying that this standard is being uh, initiated by ISO. A few episodes ago, we discussed the A2079 standard for information for use. And this one was developed by the IEC and IEEE organizations. Why, where does this difference come from? The difference is that the 82079-1 standard was originally hosted by CEN, the uh, European standardization body of electrotechnics. And the basis is an electrotechnical standard. And ISO itself didn't know anything about this standard. They didn't know that there is a, another standard for information for use existing anywhere. Right. But there is a strong correlation between the A2079 and the 20607 now, isn't there? 
That's correct. And that was one of the biggest uh, problems we faced during the development of the final standard, because the participants of the working group five, they are mostly from the uh, machinery safety and product safety and functional safety sector and with the same background. So there was no technical rider part of this working group. And after I joined the working group, I was the only, only technical rider uh, in this working group. And I was the first person which told the colleagues that there is another standard existing. And we have to look on the other standard because it's a horizontal standard and it covers not only machines, also other products. And it's a well-developed and well-settled standard in the world and in the branch of technical communication. That was a problem also for me as a new member of this working group. I was the rookie in there and yeah, we had to face this problem. But when you were aware that there already was this A2079 standard or that this standard was being developed at, at that moment, why did you decide to develop a separate standard for machinery? Why do we need another standard for, for machinery only? The thoughts of the former members of the Working Group 5, the members who started this project in 2014 and 2015, was at the one hand, they didn't know about this standard, that 820179 one. They didn't know that uh, the standard is under development for the edition two, which is already uh, released in March. And they thought that um, a standard in the field of um, the safety of machinery is necessary to concretize the safety relevant parts of an instruction handbook. Meaning that this has to do with with the risk analysis or risk assessments possibly yeah so the 2607 standard is directly linked to the iso 12100 standard this is our main standard for risk assessment and risk reduction and the third step of the risk reduction process is the uh, instructions for use or the user manual or instruction handbook and so the working group uh, said that we have to concretize the requirements for user manuals for instruction handbooks according to ISO 12100 because it's not enough clarified in the 12100 standard. And so the 2607 standard was born. Right. Also, the A2079 does mention that safety-related information is important, but it doesn't describe in too much detail that the 12,100 standard for risk analysis and risk-reducing uh, measures needs to be applied or how it needs to be applied. That's correct. But at the end, now we have the final standard of 2607 already released in the early June 2019. And the safety information or the safety relevant information in this standard, they're behind the 82079-1 standard. So that's another problem for technical writers because you, you get a new standard from the field of machinery safety, but you did not get enough information how to write a warning message, how to implement safety information in your instruction handbook. And that's the first uh, point you have to work with, then with both standards. So 
you get more information from 82079-1. And additionally, you have to uh, work with 2607 as well. But actually, I think that's a really good advice. So you would say a technical writer, when, when a technical writer is going to develop user instructions or a, a user manual for machinery, he or she needs to apply both standards, so the 82079 and the 20607. That's correct. That is my first giveaway for you to, to work with both standards. So one background of 2607 is also that it is primary made for non-experienced persons who work in companies of machine manufacturers with no experience in technical writing, with no training in technical writing. And the 2607 is like, we call it a cookbook. So you get a recipe for the content of an instruction handbook without any details, uh, without any uh, requirements for the writing process. Yeah, because we discussed that during the A2079 uh, episode as well. And, and Sven, who, was, who I was interviewing then, said that uh, the A2079 is really, it's very general and does not contain very concrete requirements, like do this and do that. And he supposed that as a user of the standard, you want that. You want the standard to tell you to do this and do that. But because it covers such a broad scope, you can't say that. So it's always upon to the knowledge and skills and, and how the technical writer applies the standard to what I mean to say is it, it, it's always up to the technical writer to translate, so to say, the requirements into a good manual for their product. That's correct. And this also applies to the 20607. So you are right that you have to have some deep and well-trained competencies in, te in technical writing or in between the field of technical communication to work with the 82079-1 standard. So the standard gives you lots of information about the writing process, about the quality, about some principles like single source and so on and so on. The 2607 is, as I said before, made as a sort of a cookbook. It gives you some clear requirements and information, for example, about the content of an instruction handbook. So the standard gives you a, an example for the content of an instruction handbook. And so if you were a non experienced person working for a machine manufacturer and you haven't written instruction handbooks before, it's good to use the 2607 standard to get an idea about the content and about how to write the instructions inside the handbook, how to design it, how to structure it. So it gives you more uh, concretized requirements and information as the 82079-1 standard. The biggest standard is for professionals. Right, because the 8079 standard focuses on a really broad scope of products and the machinery at 20607 for instruction handbooks for machinery focuses on machinery only, meaning that they give much more specific requirements for the contents of user manuals for machinery? That's correct. So the 8207-1 standard is a horizontal standard, so it covers all 
types of, of a products. So not only machines, but also machines as well. And that's why uh, machine manufacturers have to work with both standards because 82079-1 is like the big brother for technical writing and 2607 is the younger standard and focused only on machine safety and safety relevant information inside an instruction handbook. You're saying that a technical writer or an entrepreneur or whoever is, is creating the documentation or the instructions and needs to apply both standards, so both the A2079 and the 20607. However, I think uh, neither of those has been harmonized within the European legislation framework. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct at the moment, but the 2607 standard is on the way to become a harmonized standard to the uh, machinery directive. It will happen maybe in the last month of 2019. It depends on how fast the commission is working and the date where the standard it becomes listed in the official journal of the European Union. At the other hand, the 82079-1 standard in its edition 2 wants to become a harmonized standard as well, harmonized under the direction of general product safety. So at the end, in the best case, we will have two harmonized standards. 2607 is harmonized under the machinery directive and 82079-1 is harmonized under the general product safety directive. As a machine manufacturer, the machinery directive is your primary directive and in cooperation with the general product safety directive. And what does it mean when those standards are harmonized, whether it's under the machinery directive or the general product safety directive? It means that if you follow the requirements of the standard, the harmonization says that you, full, you are fulfilling the requirements of the directive as well. So you have not to check the detailed requirements of the directive when you're following the, the standard. Therefore, it's very important to uh, have a look into the Annex CA. Uh, the Annex CA gives you the information which parts of the directive are covered by the standard. And if you follow the standard and you fulfill the requirements of the standard, you know which parts of the directive are fulfilled in one step. So the 20607 standard gives much more detailed requirements on, for example, the content of user instructions or on, on the way you present your user instructions than the machinery directive itself does. That's correct. So the 2607 standard concretizes the requirements of chapter 1742, except intent U. Intent U is about noise emissions and uh, vibrations. This is excluded of the scope of the 2607 standard because we have some other standards which give you more detailed information about the warn against uh, emissions of noise and vibrations. But 1.7.4.2 two of the machinery directive is in more detail covered by the 2607 standard. And did you mention already when the standards will most likely be harmonized? It's hard to say a fixed date because it depends on the working speed of the European Commission, but we accept it for the end of this year. 
Uh, last week, uh, we had another standardization meeting of the working group five. It was held in Prague in the Czech Republic. And the information we got there is that uh, it's in the best way. The HES consultant was closed positive. So the European Commission can go on with this project. But first, the standard has to become an EN. So in European standard, and after it becomes an EN standard, there is a defined process, then it becomes a harmonized standard under the machinery directive. And one of the controversial, maybe the most controversial uh, topic was whether the standard is going to allow it to provide instructions in an electronic form or not? Yes, this was a problem during the development of the standard because the requirements for the forms of publication were different to the 82079-1 standard. The 82079-1 standard, as I said before, is a well-developed standard. It's a modern standard and it gives you the options to provide instructions or information for use in electronic form, in digital form, on different channels and ways. It depends on the on the product, on the uh, intended use. And the 2607 was a little bit different with its requirements. But now in the final standard, it's harmonized between both standards. So both standards, 2607 as well as 82079-1, gives you the possibility uh, to provide the instruction handbooks in an electronic form. And the 20607 gives the possibility dependent on what? On the intended use of your product as well or your machinery? Yeah. First, uh, the most important thing you have to watch is the local legal regulations. So if it's allowed in your country by local legal regulations to provide information for use in an electronic form, then you can do it. Then you can follow the options of the 2607 standard. Are you aware of any countries that don't allow this? As I know at the moment, for example, in Denmark, the uh, national authorities, the market surveillance authorities, are a little bit strict following the guide to the machinery directive. And that's an, an endless discussion. And I hope it will end in um, latest after the revision of the machinery directive is the form of publication because the guide to the machinery directive says that the only safe way to provide instructions, especially this, uh, the safety relevant parts of an info instruction handbook, is the paper form. So the experts in technical writing know that the paper form is not only the safest way to provide safety relevant information. It's also possible, it depends on the product and the intended use of the product and the machine as well, to provide safety relevant information in electronic form. I give you a short example. If you have a big industrial facility plant, there you have a central a control room. And if you need some information about a fault at the hydraulic engine or your conveyor belt make some loud noise. You will not go to the basement to open a room and you, you will not search in thousands of pages of paper uh, what happens when my conveyor belts uh, make some loud noise. 
you go to the PC in your control room, you open the PDF file, you're searching for a conveyor belt, make some noise, for example, and then you find the information much faster than in the paper printed documentation. So uh, from my point of view, the electronic form is a useful help and the modern way. And uh, we know everyone is uh, also in, in industrial facilities. They work with digital documents like PDFs and so on and so on. Yeah, so it totally depends on the application and maybe also your, your target audience, so the user of the documentation. Definitely. That's very important to have a look on during the information development process. What's your target group? What's the intended use of your machine? And how is the environment where the machine is going to be used? Another example, a hammer, which is used on a construction site. It makes no sense to give you a PDF file because when you have a problem with your hammer at the construction site, maybe it rains. You cannot look on your smartphone or you don't have a computer. Then you need the paper. Like a, a paper manual in a clean room doesn't really make sense, for example. That's correct. That's correct. So it depends. You have to decide what's the best way. That is a thing which should also be included into the risk assessment. That was my next question. Yeah. So I think it's not included in risk assessments mostly if or how the manual needs to be provided. I absolutely made the experience that colleagues and machine manufacturers always or mostly miss to discuss about uh, some risks and dangers coming from faulty or incomplete uh, instructions for use. And there is a big risk because if you do not get the, the relevant information how to work safely with the machine, it's a big problem. Yeah, I understand. I don't do risk analysis myself according to 12,100, but I know a bit of it. So when you apply the 12,100 standard for, for risk assessment, I think there is a structured way of doing this. For example, you have to identify uh, the mechanical hazards, the electrical hazards, the radiation hazards, etc. Seven groups of hazards. But where are the user instructions included? So how do you assess the user instructions during your risk analysis? Shouldn't the, the assessment of the user instructions be part of the 12,100 standard? Or is it already? No, it isn't a part of the list of uh, risks in the 12,100. That's one thing we want to get into the standard if the 12,100 maybe becomes revised in the next years. So uh, it's also a project of the working group five where I'm a member of. So I'm development, uh, I'm um, part of this project as well. Therefore, I, I hope that we have another group of hazards in connection to uh, in information for use and missing uh, safety information. IT risks is also a big part, which is missing in 12100. So therefore, it's very important to work with 12100 during the risk assessment and to have a look on the 2607 standard as well. Right. Thank you. At the moment that the committee discovered that there is 
a standard for information for use, which is the A2079, while the 20607 was being developed already. Did this affect the further development of the 20607? Of course, completely. And thankfully, after several very, very hard discussions, the working group five made some critical insights to the 82079-1 standard. The only problem was uh, the 82079-1 edition 2 was under development as well. So it wasn't finalized so that some colleagues in the working group said, no, it's not a relevant standard for us because it's under development and there is an old standard. And if we want to have a look into the standard, we look into the old standard. And that was a big problem because if you make some references to the standard and you you make the reference to the old standard and a few months ago uh, later, the new standard will be become published, you have a big conflict in working with the standards. And we had long discussions about this. And now the working group five accepted that there is another standard. And now this other standard gives you more detailed information. And we have to look and we have to align the standards together, especially the detailed requirements, as we discussed before, the electronic form of an instruction handbook. Right. And another hot topic always is whether the instructions need to be translated or not. What does the 20607 say about this? Yeah, uh, that's a big discussion as well. And the 2607 standard uh, deals with this discussion in a very simple way. The 2607 says that you have to follow the local legal regulations. And if there are no requirements from the legal side, you have to define any translation of the instruction handbook in the contract. So then the contract is your legal document, which has to be followed by the manufacturer. And then you have to translate the document in the form which both parties agreed. But in the European Union, we have the machinery directive and the machinery directive says that you have to translate the documentation into the national languages which are spoken there and which are used by your target group. Right, which makes sense, I think, because with the use of machinery, a lot of risks are mostly involved, meaning that you want to warn your users so that the goal should be providing or selling safe machinery on the European market, meaning that when you don't translate your instructions, for example, I'm a Dutch manufacturer of machinery, I sell it to German clients when I provide a Dutch manual and they can't read it, I'm not selling safe machinery or how do you see this? That's correct. That's very important. And if we look outside the European Union, for example, the United States, they have also strict requirements in their standards that you have to provide the instruction handbook in English, but not only in English, in American English. And in some states of the United States, you have to provide a Spanish translation as well, for example. And it's the same thing we have in the European Union, and this absolutely makes sense. If you, as you said, a Dutch machine manufacturer and you, you deliver uh, your machine to Germany, the German user cannot work with the original document. So they have to have a German translation. But very important is that you have also to have your original document in your mother tongue. 
because otherwise it can become a legal problem during a, um, after an accident with your machine. Then you have to tell the authorities or the lawyer, okay, look in my documents, in the original documents, I gave the safety relevant information, but in the translation, it's not correct translated or it's uh, not included in the translated document. Therefore, you have to mark both documents with original and translation of the original. Yeah, so as far as I know, that's like a really strict requirement that comes from the machinery directive saying that you have to mention, I think it's mostly common to do it on the cover page of the manual. Uh, you have to say these instructions are the original instructions or these instructions are a translation of the original instructions. That's correct. And uh, one important thing is, it's a big problem in uh, working with the machinery directive that uh, some machine manufacturers are providing only the translated document. But the machinery directive says that you have to provide the original document as well as the translated document. Because if there is, uh, for example, an accident which happens during the use of the machine in Germany, the German court and the, the German market surveillance authorities, they will look into the translated document and they will use an expert which speaks maybe Dutch language and then they look in both documents if the needed information are given and is all safety relevant things are covered. So that's very important and lots of machine manufacturers miss to do this and to follow the directives requirement. For example, you are a manufacturer of machinery, you, you manufacture angle grinders or robot arms or whatever, and you're selling it to Belgium, for example, which officially has three languages like Switzerland as well, which is not part of the uh, European Union. Let's say you're selling to Belgium and are there chances that local laws say that you have to translate your documentation to German, Dutch and French, for example? It depends on the product. If your product is an angle grinder, uh, as you said before, then you have to provide the instructions for use in all four national uh, accepted languages. But if your machine is an industrial plant, which is installed on one place and it cannot be moved from one place to another, then you have to provide instructions for use only in the language which is spoken in this district or uh, in, in this federal state, for example. So the inclusion of it making it possible to provide electronic user instructions is, is quite a big breakthrough, I would say, in the field of technical communication. Are there any other uh, big improvements? Yes. So first, uh, the electronic form of publication is absolutely a big breakthrough and a big development also in standardization work. We have several standards which have to be modernized in the next months and years, uh, giving you the requirements and the possibility to provide your user instructions in an electronic form as well. And therefore, TECOM is heavily involved in lots of standardization projects. For example, myself, to bring in this development uh, in other standards, not only in 2607 and 8207-1, that's the major standards, but in also smaller standards, uh, which covering um, uh, requirements for, for the instruction uh, of use. Other developments 
demands which are covered by the 26th or 7th standard is that you have to give IT safety relevant information in your instruction handbook. And this opens a new Pandora's box for machine manufacturers because if your machine, for example, is linked to the internet via an electronic communication device, uh, you have to give your users all the relevant information how to prevent your machine from, for example, for hacking attacks. And you have to give all the relevant information which are necessary to keep the, the machine in a safe condition. For example, you have to give uh, information about how to install a firewall, how to use the firewall, how to update your safety-relevant programs. For example, if you have a magnetic valve, which an RFID chip to configure this valve at site, you have to give the information under which safe conditions the valve can be configured or adjusted. If this information is missing, the instruction for use is faulty and the whole product is faulty. So if there is an accident, maybe during a false configuration or someone made a, a hacking attack on your system and changes some parameters to make this valve unsafe, it's the fault of the machine manufacturer. Which means that actually this kind of safety has been included in the traditional definition of safety. Absolutely. And in the future, it has to be a part of the risk assessment as well. Therefore, machine manufacturers, as well as technical riders, have to improve their knowledge about uh, IT risks and IT safety. Right. So talking about the future, what do you think that uh, major future improvements will be or at least developments when it comes to information for use for machinery or maybe in a broader spectrum uh, information for use in general? I think uh, a big development will be in the field of artificial intelligence, so AI and KI, self-assembling machinery, self-configurating machinery. So all the machines, if we just keep our discussion here in the field of machinery, is uh, all the things, all the developments in the field of digitalization of machines, connecting to the in internet, for example, the internet of things, and all the industrial plants which are uh, built up under the focus of Industry 4.0 uh, and therefore IT safety and, and, and all the relevant information for use will be very important to be observed by the manufacturers as well as the technical writers. Okay, but for now we have to deal with uh, the 20607 standard and then the, the enhancements in, in this standard. So let's say I'm a technical writer or entrepreneur or I'm, I'm selling machines and I want to apply the 20607 standard or at least I want to create yeah, compliant user instructions. Where do I begin? If you machine manufacturer and, and you have to, to create the instruction handbook, the best way is to start with the risk analysis. And after that, you have to uh, make some analysis about the product, about the tasks which have to be done by the, by the user, by the maintenance personnel, by the mounting or installing personnel. 
And after that, you have to, to be aware of the target groups. That's why I say target groups, because it's mostly not only one target group, it's more than one target group, which works with a machine. And then you have to structure, to make a, a draft of the structure of, uh, of your instruction handbook. And after that, you have to fill the instruction handbook with life, with all this, the content. So you start with the general content, all the general information, and then you complete the content with the safety relevant parts. And this should be in cooperation with the risk assessment. So the risk assessment should give you all the information which have to be uh, part of the instruction handbook, which have to be written by the, by the technical writer or the person which writes the content. And after that, you have to look on the special needs, for example, IT security. Okay, so that's more or less the process. And you're mentioning that after you've written the main content, you will need to include the safety instructions. Why in this sequence? Why first writing the content and then including the safety instructions? That's my way I go into a, a project of, of writing an instruction handbook. Uh, there are different ways to fill uh, an instruction handbook with, with content. But uh, for me, it makes more sense to write the general information and the general content. And then I go through the risk assessment table. And then I check on which positions of my instruction handbook safety relevant information are necessary. So you, you can determine whether, for example, a specific safety instruction is a general safety instruction or maybe it's just an installation safety instruction. I need to go to the installation chapter or maybe it's a safety instruction that is really specific to one certain step and then you will include it in that step only. That's correct. That's correct. It helps me to make a difference between the, the, the safety relevant information. Is it just a supplemental directive or is it a, an embedded safety uh, warning message? So the reason why I fill in first the general content is, is exactly this to fill in all the safety relevant, um, the safety relevant information in a structured way. It's my form of the writing process. I wrote down for, for myself and for, for my employees. And it's a good way which works. It's a way which is also allowed by 82079-1 because 82079-1 deals with the information development process. And so I follow the, the requirements of, of the standard. And it's also a good chance for me to check if I filled in all safety relevant information from the risk assessment to my instruction handbook. Otherwise, if you start to, to fill the, the instruction handbook, then you have to do the next step to check the instruction handbook with the risk assessment. It needs time. It's hard to find uh, the structure and and. Maybe it's too late, for my feeling, it's too late to do this. Yes, I think you mentioned some really good uh, guidelines, some really good tips that will help any technical writers uh, writing better documentation. Martin, thanks a lot. We're coming to an end of this uh, episode. Sounds like you had some really serious discussions when developing this uh, 20607 standard. Uh, one last question. Was it fun as well? Standardization is a fun as well, yeah. It's very interesting to know the thoughts of the colleagues 
uh, their way of dealing with new topics, their way of dealing with older topics. And it's very good for me to be state of the art and to know early enough about the development of standards. Thanks a lot, uh, Martin, for this interview. I think it's, it's a lot of useful information. Thanks all the listeners for listening. And I hope you'll be back during the next episode. Bye bye. Bye. I would like to thank the thousands of listeners that follow my show and I'd like you to listen to this show next week and all weeks that will follow as well. What have you got to lose? You are on your way to create happier and safer users and I invite you to email me with your queries or just to say hi or maybe you want to be in the show. So continue listening or write that email right now or you won't be safe anymore. Only joking of course.